So our focus tends to be many times on all the physical blessings the Lord has brought into our lives over the past year, and that's appropriate. But we're going to be looking at today, turn to 1 Peter, even as we're studying a passage from 2 Peter in our Sunday school hour, uh, the Lord kind of brought to mind some of the writings that we have from Peter in the first epistle, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9 this morning. And Peter lists here many, a multitude of the blessings that we receive because of our salvation in Christ. And these tend to get um, short thrifted, if I can use that word, I think that's appropriate, in our thoughts and in our list of thanksgiving. And that should never be. Actually, folks, these blessings that Peter lists should be first and foremost on our minds as we reflect on thanksgiving. You know, we could do this in multiple passages. Remember, we studied Ephesians recently in the first three chapters. Certainly the first chapter, Paul just lists this fireworks display of all that we have in Christ. But we've been through that recently, and that's a little long. And uh, Peter gives us in a more concentrated form here so many of a list of blessings. And really, you can entitle this just Thanksgiving for our full salvation. Peter's offering thanksgiving to our God and Father for all that he has done for us and reminding us that God is worthy and deserves all of our thanksgiving praise and worship. And that's what we're attempting to do this morning is do that. And we're just going to go through and I just really want to kind of list these things and emphasize them. We could spend weeks on all that Peter brings up here in his um, discussion in his writing of the blessings we have in Christ. We're just going to go through them all this morning, and you make a mental list, and you be thankful as well. I'm going to read the whole um, passage this morning that we'll be looking at, so you can prepare your hearts, and then we'll pray together. Look at verse 3 of chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Father, even as we read this beautiful passage, we're in some ways, it's, it is inexpressible. The gratitude that we need to have for all that you have done for us. 
And all because you have shown us mercy that we did not deserve. And your love for us provides us all things that we need in Christ and above and beyond, overflowing in abundance. Lord, if there is one here today that still is struggling with remembering all that you have done for us and being joyful for that. And Lord, let's just, we want to be honest, it is hard for all of us to have this kind of joy that Peter expresses over your spiritual blessings when we do face these fiery trials, when we do have so many burdens and so many things on our hearts that even today crowd out this joy. We need your help. We need your help to be thankful, to have this kind of joy, and to glory in what you have done for us. So give us what we need to do that well. Um, as we consider your word this morning, and may we have hearts, may we leave here with hearts that have are rejoicing in all that you've done for us. And this we ask in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We have this morning thanksgiving for our full salvation. And Peter, in these first verses three through five, is exhorting us to thank God for the hope of our new birth, that his grace provides for our new birth and our inheritance. And he lists these things. And we should join these things together. And he points out in verse three, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's offering praise. He's offering thanksgiving to God who has provided all of these things to his children, to believers. How do we know that this is for believers? Well, he reminds us in verse 1 and 2. Let's just read that quickly. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Peter is a servant of Jesus, a believer, to those who are elect, exiles of the dispersion. And it goes into a list there of where they are. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Peter is speaking to those believers, to believers, to God's children, who alone have the ability, because of their relationship with Jesus, to give thanksgiving for all that he offers. So here are believers in reference here, and it is our responsibility to praise to bless God, not that we can add something, even as we see that word in verse three, blessed. We're not adding something to what God has. He already is blessed in every way. He has all the honor and glory that he deserves, but he also deserves our um, honor and glory as well. And this is recognizing that rather than adding to that. So we can bless then. The God and Father, we can praise him. We can offer up thanksgiving because of what he's done through his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, that beautiful, wonderful title that shows that we recognize Jesus as Lord, that we've submitted, that we've bowed the knee to him. And he is fully deserving of that as well because he was willing to die and offer up himself as a sacrifice, and then we have access to all of these blessings that Peter lists, 
And as we go through this list, again, we ought to go back to the beginning of this verse and say, yes, praise God for all that he has provided for us. What is that list? Let's look here. Continuing in verse three, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. God is the one who sent Jesus to die so that we could be saved, and he raised him from the dead. All of these blessings, why did he do it? Simply because he had mercy towards us, because of his grace, undeserved rebels that were shaking their fists at him and saying, I want my own way. Even as we talked about in Sunday school this morning, self-centered, self-focused people who live for themselves and God in his mercy reached out and said, I will provide salvation through my son. And it is all because of his love for us. Nothing in our own merit. That is his mercy. Mercy is love that is acted upon. God just didn't love us, but he acted because of his love and helped us in our great spiritual need because of our sin. Lord, folks, is that at the top of our list this morning? Have you thanked God just for his mercy? Lord, I know. I know the sin in my own heart. I know the struggles I had coming to church today. Lord, we're trying to help prepare our hearts and even trying to prepare for worship. There are things that come up that we have struggles with. And I know, we know that we don't deserve any of this that you have done. Lord, thank you. Father, thank you for your mercy. It ought to be the tops on our list, right? As we thank him. Well, don't worry. Peter also has plenty more things as well. Let's continue to look at the end of that verse. Because of his grace, his great mercy, and it is great, he caused us to be born again to a living hope. He has provided new life for us through that new birth. And so many of these things that Peter talks about ties into our study in the Gospel of John. I'm so thankful for that. We've talked about the new birth, dead in our sins needing that reviving, spiritual reviving that only God could provide through Jesus Christ. And he was willing to do that. Rebirth. We're made anew. We have a desire to serve God. We have the ability to be able to serve him because we're new people. Have you praised? Are you thankful for the fact that you are a new person, that you have experienced rebirth through faith in Christ? All of God's work, even as we go through this week, just think all of the blessings that we have because we are born again and the work that Jesus has done. Be thankful for that. And because we're born again, because we are new creations, we have a living hope. How is that possible? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Yes, Jesus had to die for our sin. He had to shed his blood. Um, Peter mentioned that in verse 2. The sprinkling with his blood that provides atonement, that provides cleansing from our sin. He had to die, but he also had to conquer death. And he was resurrected 
And because Jesus conquered death, he can conquer the spiritual death in our lives through sin and give us that new life. Oh, be thankful, be grateful that we have this living, confident hope because Jesus was resurrected and because he was willing to die for us and shed his blood for us. Are you thankful for the sacrifice that Jesus has done for you this morning, for us? Are you thankful that death couldn't keep him in the grave? Are you thankful that he had victory over Satan and sin and death? We've only gotten through one verse, and we have many, many things to be thankful for this morning. That idea of a living hope. We've talked about this many times, but we'll mention it again. That's not the kind of hope that we think of in our society today. Well, I hope so-and-so wins such-and-such of a championship. Well, I hope that things work out the way that I want them to. I hope Thanksgiving works out okay with family and everything. Things can get a little rough sometimes when family gets together. Oh, I hope there's not too much awkwardness and there's no dissension. That idea of hope is something that we really, really want to happen, but we're not entirely sure that it will. But folks, that is the exact opposite of biblical hope. A living hope, Peter says, you can bank on it. You can depend on it. You can have confidence in this hope because of what Jesus has done. The living hope then is verse four. It's an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. We have an inheritance that is kept that is not corruptible or able to decay. It's not able to be defiled or polluted. An inheritance that is imperishable. Um, it won't decay or be corrupted. Undefiled has the idea of being corrupted. Unfading has the idea of losing valuable or, be, or, or losing value or becoming less valuable, of fading in its glory. And Peter says, we have an inheritance that we look forward to that will do none of those things. You think of the thing that's most valuable to you in this life of a physical nature. Well, even people, I guess, in a sense. But that, that whatever that is, that electronic device or that car or that, um, that antique um, figurine or whatever that has been passed down in the family that has been so important, all of those things fade lose their glory, become corrupted. And we could go on and on with that, those um, descriptions of things in this world. I think of, I, I made a list of a couple things here. Uh, always there's the need in our home for batteries constantly with all the electronics and all the toys and all the things going on. And it seems like, you know, we, we get batteries for a decent price, but sometimes um, because we have to have so many of them. Sometimes some of those can be disappointing. They can corrode very quickly. And it seems like we're always, you know, something's not working and you open up the, the hatch in the back and ah, batteries corroded again. Failed me again, because they're not lasting and they corrode over time. And yet Peter points us to an inheritance that will never corrode. Another incident, kind of humorous here, but you all know I've been on this nutrition regimen. And probably the hardest thing, they have, they have replacements for just about everything, right? But the replacements they have for cheese just really aren't very effective. And we've tried those multiple times. 
um, the texture and things, but I appreciated my wife's willingness to be able to try things. And she would make pizza for us a number of times and I would get a special pizza. That would be the special, not quite so tasty cheese. And that would be mine. And so um, we, she made these pizzas. It was a couple months ago. And I took my piece, got a couple pieces put on a plate and I took a bite of one and had an interesting taste to it. I said, Leslie, because I knew, I knew what I was tasting. I said, why did you put blue cheese on my pizza? And she laughed because she hadn't put blue cheese on my pizza. Unbeknownst to me, um, this cheese had been in the refrigerator, I guess, for a, a number of weeks, and it had um, defiled very quickly, but you couldn't tell that. So it had molded, but it didn't look like that. So when I bit in, of course, I had that wonderful taste sensation of mold in my pizza. And she laughed. Can you believe she laughed at that? <laughs> and they, they thought that was, that was humorous because they didn't plan for that, but it just happened. And it was a reminder to me that even something that looks really, really good in our world today that we depend on can um, really, uh, it, it can be a disappointment, obviously, as I tasted that, that moldy fake cheese. I think also as well, uh, you know, this uh, idea of when you hear this multiple times, when you buy a new car and you pull it off, the lot, you, you drive it off the lot, excuse me, and immediately, what does it do? It immediately decreases in value. As soon as it leaves the lot, it's not as valuable as what it was before. Continue. But the point is to make the effort to make the contrast between what we experience in this life, um, def defilement, Corruption is not the case with our heavenly blessings. What is that inheritance? Well, it is that, remember, it is that new body that we will one day receive. It is, remember we talked about in the Gospel of John, Jesus is preparing a place for us. It is the final um, acclamation or um, culmination, excuse me, of all of our salvation that we will experience we experience the salvation that we have through Jesus Christ, but Peter is going to continue to point out that we won't have the full experience of that till Jesus returns and we are with him forever and our inheritance will not perish. It will not be defiled. It will not be unfading. And verse five, it's protected. Actually, we're protected. Notice it says in the end of verse four, kept in heaven for you, and then verse five, referring to us, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter points out here, we're protected for the day when Jesus returns that day in the future to receive the full outcome of our salvation, even death itself cannot keep us from experiencing that full inheritance. That's protection. And we're protected. You may say, well, I don't feel always protected, Pastor Brock, and what God allows into my life. God, and, and Peter is going to address that here in verse 6 and 7. But folks, we can trust God's word, that it's his power that does see us through, that we will be able to experience the full inheritance and blessings of that that he has for us, our new bodies, our new place 
the full uh, final um, participation in the salvation that we have, we can be assured that we will experience that salvation. And it will be revealed in the last time. That is something that we can count on. Have you expressed thankfulness to God's gift of his inheritance that we know that each of us will receive one day? And also that will not be defiled, that we can count on because God will keep us until that time in his protecting power. Have you thanked God recently for all of these things? We need to. Now, Peter recognizes and realizes that we struggle with gratitude sometimes. And so he gives us this reminder, verse 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We need to thank God for the hope of our new birth and our inheritance, his protecting power, but also thank him for the joy we can experience over our salvation. It is ours to experience. It is our, ours to enjoy the rejoicing of the salvation God has given us. But we need to remember that the testing times that he allows into our lives are there for a purpose as well. And we can actually rejoice in the midst of those times. And that amazes us. It astounds us, really, that his testing will reveal, actually reveal the reality of our faith. Look back at verse 6. In this you rejoice that joy that we have, that we will receive these things that God has for us. Peter says, even though I understand you face trials, you have been grieved. That word grieved represents great hurt and difficulty and tribulation. Peter in that word recognizes that we face very hard things in this life. But here's the interesting thing. That word rejoice that we just mentioned has the idea of jubilant exultation. Now, those two things seem opposite to us many times. When you're going through difficult trials, you don't feel like being jubilant and exalting God and many times in your emotions. But folks, when we truly understand, as Peter does, the value and, the ex and we have the expectation of what we're going to experience one day. It is true. Peter says this, that we can have a jubilant exaltation that carries us through a variety of pain, deep pain, and great hurt. And he points us to the fact that we will have an eternity of treasure in our inheritance, an eternity to enjoy our inheritance that outshines any temporary trials. He says, remember, these trials are only going to be for a little while. It's almost as if Peter is making light of the things that we go through, really, when we read this. And I have to I'll be honest with you. Oh, I, I try to be all the time. Um, when I read these epistles and when I read 1 Peter, it is always convicting to me. 
I'm always reminded, you know, I, I need to grow in my personal walk with God because I don't experience the joy in the way that I should over the things that God is doing in my life. Many times I get frustrated. And um, I look at the trials in my life as overwhelming and dark and overpowering. And to look at them and just as Peter does and say, yeah, they're really hard. But in contrast to what we have in Christ, it's small. It's only for a little while. That takes help from the Lord. And we need to ask the Lord for help. Lord, help, even as Peter points out here, that remind us that the hardest things that we face, they're still only for a little while. And he says, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, as if, you know, you don't have to choose to be grieved or to be overwhelmed by those difficult things. You can choose to rejoice. It's available to you. And we need to remember that more often than we do. We can have joy in the midst of great grief and trial. And he, again, acknowledges that trials can be difficult. Verse 7, the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. That word tested genuineness may be the word that's least familiar to us, um, but it alludes to a refining process that purifies and proves the value of precious metals like gold. It proves what's already there. So this that Peter's referring to, this tested genuineness of your faith, those testing times don't produce real faith, but they prove that we have genuine faith. They prove what is there, the work that God has done. And folks, that genuine faith is one of the most valuable treasures that ever existed that's in existence. Because he says there, it is more precious than gold that perishes. And we've all had the opportunity to look at valued, at precious metals, at valued gems, and be in awe of those things. But do we really treat our tested faith, that refined, that strengthened faith, as more beautiful and more valuable than the greatest treasures that we can experience on this earth? Many times we don't. And so we don't thank God as much as we should for those trials. It's the last thing many times we want to do is thank God for trials. But remember, through that, he is producing and he is proving a precious resource. That is, our faith is genuine and it's tested. And what will all this do? Will this then reflect on us? And as we see Jesus one day, um, we will be glorified rather than God? Well, actually, interesting, maybe surprisingly here, it's both. It may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Certainly, as we've talked about many times, Jesus will receive the glory that he deserves from us and when he returns. But folks, this also refers to praise and glory and honor that our faith will receive verbal accolades, visible glory, and the honor of accomplishment. God, in his grace, will actually show us honor 
one day for the faith that he has developed in us. He does the work. He gives the gifts. And then we actually, in his mercy, we're honored for that faith. That is remarkable. We'll be honored for the work God has done in our lives. And because of all that, when Jesus returns, <clears throat> we should have then a love and appreciation for him through all of these things. And that's verse 8. Obtain, or, or though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Peter and many others had seen Jesus personally. They had interacted with him. They had talked with him. They had embraced him. Peter is now writing to uh, an audience who most of them had never seen Jesus, had never interacted with him at all. And we relate well to that audience, don't we? Because we haven't touched or seen Jesus in person yet. One day we will. But Peter's audience had believed in Peter's testimony and the testimony of the other apostles and followers, even though they'd never personally seen Jesus. And if you are a child of God today, you're in that group. We're all in this category that Peter is describing. Though you have not seen him, you love him. How can you love someone that you've never seen? Well, notice I didn't say that you haven't met him. We've all met Jesus through our faith and what God has done in um, the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross. When we put our faith and believe and depend upon him, we experience relationship with Jesus in a very personal way. We just haven't seen him yet. And one day, because of that relationship, oh, glory, won't it be wonderful to actually see him face to face? But we love him, not as much as we should. We know we need to love him more. Every believer has the fire, the embers of love in their heart for God, for Jesus. And we look forward to that for all that he has done for us. Are you thankful for the trials that Jesus allows? Are you thankful for the honor and the rewards that one day that you'll receive when Jesus returns? Are you thankful that Jesus will return and that we can be confident in that? Are those tops on your thankful list? Peter says, I know you don't see him now, but you believe in him. And here's really in some ways the most amazing part of this whole description as we finish up this morning. And that belief and that relationship we, through eyes of faith, we believe and love him, and that fills us, what he describes here, is inexpressible joy. It fills us with wonder and glory and awe. I don't know about you, but in all this description, this is the part where I feel like I, fall, I falter the most. How often this past week have you felt indescribable joy? at what Jesus has done for us. How often this week have you been in awe and marveled at what Jesus is doing and will do in, in his return for us and all that he has given us? Have you had such joy, excuse me, joy in your heart that it's like you can't even describe it? 
Well, we've all had experiences like that in our life, but let's be honest, most of us, probably all of us don't experience that weekly. And I guarantee we don't experience that daily. But whose fault is that? It's our fault. We let sin and the cares of the world and the trials of the world get in the way of this inexpressible joy that we could have. Peter points us to that. What are the things that give us the most joy in life? So paltry, so shallow. A new electronic device. People spend millions of dollars marketing a new movie that's coming out. Disney Plus or cable channels or whatever. And you can see it right away if you want. Oh, isn't that joy? A new car. Or a car that's new to you. Um, a, a dessert or a meal that you look forward to at a particular restaurant. Or maybe you're looking forward to particular food. When I list those things in comparison to what we've just seen... We understand they're shallow and paltry, but folks, aren't those the things that bring us the most joy on a daily basis? Is our food and electronics and opportunities to earn more money. And those are many times the closest things that we come to in indescribable joy. And we realize how far we fail, how far we fall from what we could experience. And I hope this is encouraging, but also exhorting to us. We can be filled with joy that's inexpressible. We can be filled with wonder and awe of what Jesus has done and will do. Because verse 9, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Wait a minute, Pastor Brock. That's future. Why would Peter describe the salvation of your souls as future? I'm saved. I have put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Yes, that's true. You are saved. That genuine faith, dependence in Jesus, has provided you salvation from sin. You do have an inheritance. You do have a place to look forward to that Jesus is providing for you. But Peter wraps his description and his, um, his focus here on the whole, um, the whole picture of salvation not just what's happened in the past. There's three aspects to our salvation. For those of us that have trusted Christ, it's what Jesus has done when we put our faith in him, that cleansing, we're given his righteousness, we're made anew. There's a present reality that Jesus, a present reality of our salvation, that's sanctification, that he continues to practically daily renew us and help us become more like him in his character. But there's a future aspect to salvation as well, when we will enjoy all and experience the ultimate experience, full experience of our salvation. And that's when Jesus returns and gives us our inheritance and all those things. And Peter takes all of those things and describes them together so that when he says in verse 9 that one day we will obtain the outcome of our faith, it's all through God, but we are called upon to depend upon that work. The salvation your souls then is what Peter's describing here is the um, accumulation of all. 
that salvation means to us, the appropriation of our complete salvation. In other words, one day, all of its wonderful realities will be experienced. And that is what Peter is describing here. And folks, when we realize that, that ought to cause us to well up with joy and awe and wonder. Confident hope. Jesus will return and we will experience the appropriation. The wonderful realities fully will be experienced of what salvation is and what Jesus has done. If that doesn't bring joy and excitement and thankfulness and gratitude, folks, nothing will. And as believers, it should. So, actually, Spurgeon says here in regards, I'll give you a quote here. He that takes care of our times will take care of our eternity. Are you trusting in that? Are you trusting? When you trust that God will take care of all this and you believe what Peter said here, then you will experience gratitude, joy, marvel, and awe for what God's doing in, our, in your life and in my life. So,